We pick up with our player capsules. This time we talk about Terry Rozier and the season he had. Plus, we take a look at the coaching search for the Charlotte Hornets. We speak about Frank Vogel and we bring on Tony East of Locked On Pacers to help us do so. It's all today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available on all platforms. That includes YouTube. So check us out every day. You can follow us on Twitter as well at Walker Mail. Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson L O H and the show handle on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. That's why you're laughing. I just want to know when you're going to make a, a Twitter account for your pooch. Pooch always making a is he there a cameo? There the he is. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the boy. He likes to look outside the window. And you know what? I would put the blinds down. One, it might help because I just always forget with the light. Two, the actual view out there is what he likes to look at, trying to figure out, hey, what squirrel is running by. And so sometimes that keeps him quiet. Other times it's just, it's a complete crapshoot. I don't know if it's going to make him speak or just go quiet or whatever. So that's what we have to deal with. Um, we have to deal with a lot of content over the next, goodness gracious, couple of weeks. I mean, I was, I saw the schedule you put together and we are going to be doing a lot of player capsules, right? We, mm-hmm. we talked about that quite a bit. Terry Rogier's up today. We'll get to him in just a moment. It's also draft time, Doug. Yeah, it's got about. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to try to balance all of this content. We're going to be given a coaching search too, like Charlotte Hornets. Like this team individually compared to some of the other teams out there in the NBA. We've got to do all of this, right? Coaching search. Who's the best candidate? Who's the best prospect? Wait, no. Who are the two best prospects? Because the Hornets have two first round picks. And we have to do these player capsules to try to give you guys a review of what happened with the Terry Rozier. We'll also do a James book night in the next episode. We'll get to the front court players at some point. It's a lot. We got a lot. Yeah. And so we're going to break it all down on the lockdown Hornets podcast. Let's start with Terry Rozier, Doug, who had his best season of his NBA career just last year. And in fact, mm. it led to a contract extension where mm-hmm. it hinks, inks him to the Charlotte Hornets for quite a while, unless the Hornets want to move on from him. Now we'll get to all that in just a moment as well. But I look at last season compared to this one, very similar. If you look at the counting stats, if you look at the efficiency, if you look at what his role was with this team, you did give a lot more up to LaMelo as he's growing into the NBA. And so there's some mm-hmm. differences too. I had a really kind of fun time looking at all of the different stats for Terry Rogier. but as far as what he is as a player, we saw his best version of that last year leaking into this year. And that's what he is. And I'm glad that it wasn't some outlier in 2020, 2021. Like he gave us a good example of that again. Like, Hey, this is who I am. This wasn't just some kind of outlier year. I can do it again. And that's what I took away from Terry this season. Yeah. I think, you know, what happens, what, what sort of is, is the scary thing about a player signing a big extension, especially in in his seventh year in the league. The fear is, it's the Nick Batum fear, right? It's the fear that a player gets the bag and then decides to phone it in. And that's just not what Terry Rozier is about. And and you knew it pretty early on. In in the offseason, he was gathering this team together 
in Miami to work out, and he got a lot of players uh, to join him. And so he has that kind of influence over the locker room, and he was using it for good to bring players together to get ready for the season. Unfortunately, because of some ankle issues, uh, his start of this season, um, he struggled, but he, he found he rebounded and got really better as the year went on. Uh, but that's it. I mean, consistency, you know, consistency and production, slight dip in efficiency, but points, assists, rebounds, clutch shooting. You know, he was giving you similar things that he did last season, even after the contract extension. Yeah. If you want to go towards the the leadership route, we can go there with the soundbite he had during the exit interview. And I think that's something that also was replicated from last season. We really saw Terry kind of become one of those leaders this year. It was the same thing. And here he is talking about how much he wants to give a good experience to his younger brothers, as he called them in LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges. I wanted to be in the playoffs and, you know, just, just to have guys like, like Miles Bridges and, and, and uh, Melo, just to have them in the series for the first time, I, I really wanted that for, for, you know, for my younger brothers and a lot of them guys in that locker room for them to experience that for the first time just so they can have that hunger and just to know how that foot in the door over the whole summer. And, you know, we, we, we will experience whether, you know, if, if it's us together, whatever it is, we will, they will experience it. But, you know, I just wanted that for them more than anything. Yeah, and the whatever is Miles Bridges, the contract that he has, the decision that really the Charlotte Hornets have to make more so than Miles. Miles can sign an offer sheet, but the Hornets have the ability to match it, and I think they will, but of course that is still up in the air. And Terry's talked about it, Miles LaMelo, all of them love being around one another. We've kind of beaten that to death. But Doug, I do want to talk about the Miami trip a little more. Everybody made a huge deal over that, and I kind of struggled mentally with, all right, are we making too much of this? Terry brought everybody together. Everybody showed up. That's awesome. Okay. How awesome is it? Is it something we need to continue to talk about that is going to truly affect the win loss record for the Charlotte Hornets team? Or is it just something good for the camaraderie? Are we making too much of it? I was really trying to wrestle with that. And I think where I come to is you do need to have somebody, you know, we, we can we can go down the list. This is all right. Yeah, great locker room leadership. You know, let's pay out the wazoo for it. You know, OK, I don't know how to sign a monetary value to that. What I do know is maybe somebody would be doing that if it wasn't for Terry. But Terry's on the team and he's the one taking ownership of it. And I do put value into that. You know, it doesn't mean that I want to pay him 25 mil a year or close to it. At the same time, there is a lot of value in that. And the players respond to it with open arms like yo terry's in the rap video with miles bridges and he's also being the guy that says everybody hey come to miami we're gonna work out we're gonna play some ball kai jones don't matter if you're the second pick in the first round you coming to oh two-way players it don't matter man everybody's coming out we're gonna play some ball and and that is really cool like terry is a really cool dude from everything that i've gathered and i think you're just kind of seeing that play out with the charlotte hornets the last couple of seasons well, what you do pay for is points production. I mean, he was a great scorer for this team, one of th- a three that were scoring over 19 points a game this season. Uh, what you do pay for is clutch production. Um, you know, he, it, I was looking at his clutch numbers. Efficient, 40% from the field and 33% from three in in the in that clutch time, which which I think are generally 
good numbers, especially when you consider how much he had the ball in his hands. And, and you know, we can think of a number of big shots that he's hit over this season. Tough shots, too. I mean, he was hitting the, the, the leaners. And, you know, in a year where they didn't have a lot of Gordon Hayward or as much Gordon Hayward as they wanted to, he was a player that you could throw the ball to and say, hey, go get us a bucket. And I think that is what you, you know, pay that type of money for. Uh, you know, we can talk about next segment, you know, things that you would want probably for a player making that kind of money to do a little bit more of. And I think the Hornets, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Miles as this sort of will they be there, won't they be there kind of thing that Terry was referencing. But I think the Hornets have some serious questions, too, about, you know, whether or not Terry Rozier is the long-term answer at the starting two-guard position next to LaMelo Ball. And I think a lot of those questions don't really stem from the offensive end of the floor because I think LaMelo and Terry actually complement each other really well on that end. It's the defensive end that you really worry about. Yeah. All right. So just to continue with the what went right segment before we move on, I do have a couple of things I do want to talk about. You kind of go into the stats. And the reason I found Terry Rozier's season a pretty interesting one because there's a lot of similarities. Um, let's, let's go to the places where he shot on the floor because he used to j- – just be a three-point threat and last Mm -hmm. season he had a career high in two-point percentage and that continued again you got to see him shoot basically the same trying to go all the way up to just the normal uh counting stats real quickly for two point yeah it was basically the same it was 51 percent both years 51.6 51.2 last year uh, 51.6 this season but if you look at the different spots on the floor where he shot most of his attempts it was basically the same right the percentages are the same in where he shot Uh, The efficiency, it kind of varied a little bit. He shot better from three-point land last season. The three-point corner shot, which we've talked about a couple of times with different players, dude shot 45% from three-point land last year. This year, it was 40. Still good number, but last year was crazy. Last year, he was elite, elite. This year, he was just really good. And, you know, so you wonder if that finds itself in the middle. If he shoots 40 again, and from that spot next season, it's not like that's bad. It's just he didn't have the same kind of breakout season there. I do think that if you look at some of the offensive control numbers, like offensive fouls that were committed and ones getting inside the three-point line and looking to dish points, uh, I think, addressed because of the assists that he was able to dish out, all of those numbers suggest that Terry was a better decision maker, not by much. But I, I think I saw that on the floor. Like, I, I think barely you see Terry make better decisions every year. He's still not LaMelo, but, you know, he's still like pick and roll decisions. I think he is getting better. And even as a playmaker, there's there's some better stuff there to be able to hit at the at the goal this year. He was awesome. This was his uh, best year in the NBA by, um, I think, maybe maybe 20 percentage points, something like that, um, or two percentage points, excuse me. But yeah, like Terry, Terry, good season overall, like, and some of the things he improved, and those are some of the areas where maybe he did not Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's the story on Terry this year, was a consistent producer after a contract season and provided some leadership. Also, one of the, just kind of a random thing, one of the few players this season to improve at the rim. Uh, <laughs> this team was not very good. Uh, at the rim. Now, he didn't take a lot of shots at the rim, but he he did uh, improve his efficiency there. Yes, he did. All right. Terry Rozier, we talked about some of the things that went right. Maybe we can finish those up if we forgot anything in this segment. We'll also talk about what went wrong coming up on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, including... 
Terry's contract and whether the Hornets are going to move on from that, whether they are going to keep him on the books. And if he is anywhere in the same stratosphere as the kind of having that urgency to get off of it, like you would be with a Gordon Hayward, some of those conversations are coming up on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Not before we talk about Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sport wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. More Terry Rozier coming up on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. So if you don't believe in the moon landing, Mm -hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement? I think the greatest achievement of all time, and I think it's Vince Carter doing 360s clockwise rather than counterclockwise. It's really tough. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. We took a look at the positives for Terry in the last segment. Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at some of the negatives for Terry. So I'm going to go back to the whole veteran leadership thing. One of the things that bugs me a little about Terry, as much as I really like him as a person, Terry at the end of these games, post-game availability, he'll come out and discuss how Charlotte needs to perform a lot better on the defensive end. Okay, Terry, that starts with you too. And that's what's really tough when you when you hear those messages, then you expect those players to have everything in check themselves. Now, it doesn't mean that they have to be Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan out there in the defensive backcourt, but it means that you at least have to show some of that effort, too. Like I've talked about Terry and some of the biggest problems I have with him on the floor. There are a lot of times where a guy will drive by him and he almost lets him to try to coax them into getting by him and then he'll try to poke the basketball from the back and so many times it doesn't work out now I I don't think I saw that as much this year as I did last year but there's two years in a row now where Terry has tried to say hey everybody let's play better defense let's gear up on that end of the floor and then you know it's him getting beaten off the dribble you know by some big guys every now and then or just just not making the right rotation like there there are problems with Terry's defense in my opinion sometimes he would bring it You know, I mean, at least the effort was there and he would, I think Steph Curry is one where he, I think he took that challenge on, if I'm not mistaken, that Golden State game. I thought there were some nice moments for him on that end of the floor at the same time that that's one of the bigger problems I have with Terry, Doug. Well, I mean, this season was a lot of talk and not enough action. It wasn't that there wasn't any action. It just there wasn't enough action. And and I think it's part of the reason why James Borrego is no longer head coach, because there was a lot of conversation about what needed to change. And there just simply wasn't enough change to get this team into the playoffs. And so I, I agree with you there. And obviously, Terry Rozier has the potential to be a average to above average defensive player I think he has all of the tools necessary to do that I just think that he saves up a lot of energy for the offensive end and that offensive production and doesn't uh, pay enough attention to the details on the defensive end and it's disappointing honestly because you know the Hornets made a all-star push that included Terry Rozier and if I look back I think man you know if, if Terry did, did a few more things defensively because I think he does enough offensively to be considered among, 
you know, some of the some of the better guards in the Eastern Conference. If he did a little bit more defensively and and and, and you know, especially in big games when people are paying attention, I think there would be a bit more buzz had it began at the beginning of last season. There would have been a bit more buzz to get Terry Rozier uh, into one of those fringe all-star positions. But alas, uh, there wasn't. And, and those defensive issues certainly hurt, especially when he's playing alongside LaMelo Ball, who is who is trying to adjust to NBA-level defense. Uh, so that, that became difficult for the Charlotte Hornets. Okay, here's another thing that went wrong, and we can kind of project towards the future on this too. If you want to, this one were, uh, might be where we disagree, Doug, but I want to talk about the contract with Terry. Okay. He's going to be making money until 2025-26. And in the last year of that contract, he's going to be making $26.6 million. The year before that, 24.9. The year before that, 23.2. So after this season, right, going into next, he's going to officially be on that new deal because he signed a three-year contract with the Hornets the first go-around. The extension kicks in next year. The reason I want to make that distinction is because I think a lot of people said, Terry played up to the level of that contract this year. And I think, okay, that's true. But that contract actually isn't this year. That contract is still on the $17.9 million the last year of that first deal that he, that he played um, with the Hornets under. He's 28 years old now, okay? So he's on contract until he's 32. Terry, I don't know if you're going to see a better season from him than what you did last year. You know, I, 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 maybe it's close. Maybe it's kind of the same thing where he gives you something similar to last season where barely dips in a lot of different categories. I think you kind of saw that in some of the st- of the box score when you look at Terry. That That's my problem with this contract, and it's always been that, you know? Like, I, I didn't think Miles was going to be this. Nobody saw this coming. James Borrego flat out said that he didn't see that coming, even himself. But I did want to leave the room, at least that window open, to sign Miles at more than $20 million a year, because we talked about that last season. That's not, that's not surprising. And then have money left over for something else. That's not the case anymore. Like, you can try to do some MLE stuff. You know, there are ways to get around, you know, trying to get your, I don't know, Nick Claxton, Mitchell Robinsons of the world, whatever, right? We've had that conversation a lot. But he makes $21.4 million next year. The year after that, it's $23 million. And again, this is an ascending contract we're talking about. So like that, that's my problem with the Terry Rozier contract. He's going to be 30 in the next two years and you still got to pay him a few more. That, that's my problem. And I would, I would welcome the Hornets looking to move off of that if they could. Well, and I think it is move off a bull. And Terry Rozier played at a level that made it more move offable than, than it would have had he not lived up to the contract. So that's why I don't I think the con- and and you made the point which is that they really didn't expect Miles to do what he did. And so if they didn't expect that, then you know, having Terry that level of production at that amount of money makes a lot of sense if you don't anticipate a player rising to the level of of Miles Bridges. And so you know, I think yeah, it makes less sense now but but that's hindsight 2020 kind of stuff. You know, I don't, I don't fault them for making that contract extension. And, and it, again, it's not such that I don't think they can move that contract. In fact, we've already discussed opportunities for, for them to pair certain contracts and bl- bring, you know, p- players in that could either help the team or help the books. Yeah. And um, go ahead. 
Yeah, so, I mean, I just don't see the contract as that big of a deal, honestly. Oh, well, not now, and but that's my problem, too. This is kind of a thing where you look at the NBA, contracts change in value drastically and in very little time. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. You know, listen to the Zach Lowe podcast. It was not long ago where Chris Paul was being traded with two first-round picks and two first-round pick swaps mm-hmm. because he was viewed as one of the worst contracts in the league. Yeah. And now that's absolutely flipped. And here's Terry. Like, we can even go to this team. You know, let's go to even Kelly Oubre. I don't know how much money he would have gotten had he finished the season like he did in the first half. At least somewhere in that neighborhood, he would have gone, still made his, you know, 12 whatever million somewhere. And maybe he still gets that. He would have gotten more than that. But it changed so drastically in the second half of the season. I'm scared, right. Doug. That so as that's Terry fine. That, that's older, fine. We can, then- we can assign that to me. I will assign blame to the front office if they can't if if they can't move off the deal and, and i'll assign some blame to terry rozier if he continues to be but my question th- is when is that what does that timing look like that's my I question though like like if you you can move off of it now because i agree no I, I think terry's played well enough to where that's actually something that teams view as a positive to some degree you know i, I pro- yeah. probably i mean probably pretty even at the very least and that could change with a bad three months to start the season with Terry. It's like, uh, I don't know that three point percentage, like 33%, you know, he's not shooting well with inside that as much as he was like, that's what I'm scared about. So I, I wonder if the Hornets are really looking to move off of that as quickly as possible. So one quick thing that I think also went wrong for Terry Rozier, and we saw this uh, to a larger extent last season where the, the end of the season comes and Terry's production falls off. Uh, there was a shorter time window this season, but it really began in the last few games. And then obviously in the play-in game, didn't really show up. And and Terry, you know, I, I've said it all season. He's a certified gamer. I put the I put the certificate in the mail. I hope he got it. I hope he's hanging it on his wall somewhere next to all of his all of his other uh, trophies and accomplishments. And and I, I don't doubt that. Um, but at the at the same time, I have to recognize that um, you know in that play-in game, he had a disappointing performance, and then. You know when they yeah. when they needed clutch performances at the end of the season to improve some of their uh, positioning in that play in, um, he he fell a little short. So you know talking about what we want to see out of him next season, I think it's pretty clear. It's defense. It's better performances at the end of the year. It's putting a little bit more action behind some of the things that that he's talking about. Yeah, that that's a good point, Doug. Like it's two years in a row where they've gotten destroyed, and Terry Rozier helped them get destroyed. Problem. Um, real quickly, the last two things I want to point out with him. When you look at the three point percentage, remember how just like red hot he would get for a month last season? You know, he would yeah. just, he would go crazy. And he kind of did that after the All Star break. So this is a little arbitrary in the breakdown. I'm really just kind of, you know, a victim of the ESPN game log breakdown that goes by months, right? So you can have whatever right. measuring point you want to, but I'm kind of going by the months here. Um, he had a slump. He, well, he had, he had one, he only had one month where he actually shot really well from three, which is 43.2%. Everything else, you know, he had the 33% month in February. That's not good. He had 38 in January. He had 39 in December. Like everything else was just kind of, you know, very solid to good to average, except for that one month that he had in uh, the month of, uh, of March, I should say. The other thing is true shooting this year. Terry Rozier shot 56.6%. The league average true shooting percent mark is 56.6%. So Terry right there 
at the exact Beautiful. average. There you go, baby. All right, let's talk about Built Bar. Summer is coming. It's almost here. And with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. You can throw them in your bags and your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone, uh, excuse me, has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. And the best part about Built Bars is that they're healthy and delicious. You don't have to sacrifice delicious food for health anymore. With Built Bar, you can have both. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. We'll talk about Frank Vogel with Tony East of the Locked On Pacers podcast coming up next on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. We need Mitch Kupchak to throw a party like Sam Presti. Can he party like Presti? And Russell Westbrook? <laughs> yeah, but who are you going to get to perform? Because remember, they got Nas. I, they did get Nas. Man, who is Mitch Kupchak getting to that Nelly. party to perform? Can we get Nelly? No. Can we get- P. <laughs> I hate you right now. <laughs> It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I'm going to give you the peek behind the curtain. I needed to get out of that read as quickly as possible because I was holding back a cough the entire time. There were a few more bullet points. I'm sorry, Bilt Bar, but you just needed to get me through that in a healthy way and, uh, and not just cough all over your read. So I tried to show you as much respect as I possibly could and needed to get to Frank Vogel. You had a conversation with Tony East, right, Doug? How did that go? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's great. You're about to find out. So we got a lot of info on Frank Vogel, who is uh, one of the candidates that is being bandied about in this coaching search that, uh, Walker, we haven't heard a ton about. Yeah. It's, it's been a little quiet on the coaching front. The Sacramento Kings getting out ahead of everyone, and I'm – I'm hoping they just uh, snag Mark Jackson. Just get Mark oh, Jackson. Oh, no. Don't just do it. Just save the Hornets from themselves. <laughs> from themselves. Yeah. But Vogel's Frank, not Vogel's not one of those names uh, right. on, on the Kings list. So. Right. Well, no, and Frank, Frank Vogel's interesting. I like that you got Tony East because you got him really at his most impressive coaching run, right? When he was coaching the Pacers, that small yep. market team that goes toe-to-toe with LeBron James, the Miami Heat. Lots of player development there. A great, great defensive team. I really like Frank Vogel for what he brings on that end. If you look at it, it's very center-reliant, though, Doug. So we'll see, like, do you have to make that change on the roster? But enough for me. Tony East knows a lot more about Frank Vogel than I do. So listen to this conversation with Doug and Tony East coming up right now. Here now with the Locked On Pacers host Tony East to talk about Frank Vogel, possible uh, coaching candidate. We haven't heard any uh, word on who the Charlotte Hornets are going to ultimately interview, but certainly Frank Vogel's name has uh, been bandied about. Welcome, Tony. How's it going, Doug? I'm excited to not be talking about a Pacers coaching change for once doing off-season podcasts. <laughs> yes, yeah, a nice change of pace for you. Uh, well, I appreciate you joining us. Let's talk about Frank Vogel. So uh, take me all the way back to the beginning of Vogel's run in Indiana. Uh, why did they decide to hire Frank Vogel in the first place? Yeah, he was an, uh, on their staff as an assistant for quite a few years under Jim O'Brien, who they had a prior relationship uh, with Boston, where Frank Vogel got his start in the NBA in general. Uh, so he grew as an assistant there, got up to the front of the bench. And uh, at the end of that time, when when uh, when they fired J.O.B. after the 2011 season, they promoted Vogel on an interim basis and then ended up making the playoffs. And obviously, everybody knows, you know, in the early 2010s, the Pacers had a really strong run, right? 
Like they, they pushed the heat to the conference finals twice, pushed him to seven games, looked really good with Paul George. So he just became a very natural fit on that interim basis and got the, got the contract full time right after that. And, and was a really good fit for the Pacers kind of ethos is always kind of being a tough nosed defensive basketball franchise did a really good job guiding that team after his promotion. And um, yeah, just really was a good fit after the J.O.B. era was kind of a disaster. And so what is his coaching profile? I mean, what would you, what would you say were, were his strengths and, and were those strengths something that were evident before they hired him or was it something that sort of evolved as, as uh, he got his sea legs under him? Yeah, he's definitely more known for his defense. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. But, you know, even when you look back when he was with Orlando, like he did all right making that team okay on defense. And the Pacers, with a staff of guys like Dan Burke, who's been their defensive coordinator essentially for years and years, you know, they were a really strong defensive team. And, and Vogel was a big part of that. Not as strong on offense, but when he has a team with a star like PG with the Pacers, obviously with the Lakers, he had a bunch. You know, he can make a passable system that, that is capable of, you know, getting to the conference finals. I think three times down his, his coaching career, the finals victory obviously is on there too. But definitely better at defense and teaching, you know, little nuances, good base defense, good angles, things like that. The Pacers were always very, very strong on defense with him on the team and helped grow Roy Hibbert into like one of the best defenders in the NBA. Paul George developed into one of the better defenders in the NBA under his watch. George Hill got better as a defensive stopper under his watch. Lance Stevenson, I could go on and on. I've just named a few names. Hornets fans know all about Lance Stevenson for the wrong reasons, unfortunately, but he was quite a good defender under Frank Vogel. And a lot of guys just got better under that regime. And that's, that's the side of the ball where he really specializes. Yeah, what's I mean, what's his communication style? Obviously, we know that it, it sort of crashed and burned ultimately in in LA, <laughs> but uh, you know, it it seems like at least in 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 that first couple of seasons in LA or the f- first uh, couple of seasons in Indiana, like he he seemed to have great relationships with players. How would you describe his? I mean, is he a player's coach or or is he somebody that's kind of a disciplinarian and people respect him for a different reason? Yeah, he only played like D3 basketball, right? So, you know, not a guy that typically profiles as a good communicator, but everyone that I've talked to, at least with the Pacers at that time, thought he was a very, for that kind of coach, at least, who doesn't have a ton of high-level playing experience, viewed him very highly as a communicator and not like a totally tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy, but just good enough at, you know, kind of towing that line between harsh realities and telling guys what the situation is in a way that is beneficial communication, but is still you know, explaining the situation. Like a lot of coaches get caught up in being a little too player friendly, right? And then guys get confused when the role isn't what it's supposed to be. The Pacers dealt with that two years ago or three years ago. Uh, and some coaches are a little too much on one other side, like Nate McMillan kind of is he's a little too much taught like it is and not enough, you know, explaining the whole situation. Vogel's pretty good at towing down the middle line and he's also pretty good at using his assistants in a way that's beneficial. Like I talked about Dan Burke already, but like Popeye Jones was a really good assistant for the Pacers and now he's with Denver. Um, a bunch of other guys you could go down the list. So I think he's a good delegator and that kind of speaks to the level of communication that he's able to have with both his players and everybody on his staff. So I thought James Borrego was really great at at getting the Hornets to where they ultimately, I think probably peaked uh, in this, in this past regular season, but developing players was 
his strength. And I think communicating with young players to a certain extent, getting them to be a little bit better every year was a strength of James Borrego. But I always question whether or not he was the coach that could make the adjustments necessary in the playoffs. When when the game completely changes on you, and I think evidenced by those two blowouts in the play-in game, I think those questions ultimately doomed Borrego. So I, I asked this of Frank Vogel, like what, what was it like watching him adjust from regular season to playoffs you know, there's a lot of factors that go into this. It's not all on coaching when it comes to the playoffs. But what what did you see there in terms of, you know, changing things up, making adjustments to get playoff victories? Yeah, they – I don't want to say they didn't adjust a ton from the regular season to the postseason, but, you know, kind of the way that they were good at the time when you're really strong defensively, like you can rely on that in a much more – like a much more streamlined way, I think, from – the regular season to the postseason, where you know you you know what you're good at you know how to do it you can just stick with it when playoff basketball comes around so they didn't need to drastically change anything or like dynamically game plan in the first couple rounds but he did do a good job of you know like they pushed the heat to seven for a reason they gave him their hardest fight i think two postseasons in a row before they ended up losing to san antonio in 2014 because you know he was did, did a good job making life hard for lebron and some of that was the personnel with the guys that i already mentioned like lance and pg but some of that was good teams and some of that was, you know, he, he's very much, uh, okay, we're going to shut down the star and make other guys beat us kind of coach. And they did a good job adjusting on that end of the floor on offense. Uh, they definitely needed, they definitely got stale at times in the postseason. Like the creativity wasn't necessarily there from a series to series basis. And I think that was something that kind of hurt them, but they also didn't have a ton of good creators or personnel to like really change things up. So uh, I would say that defensively, he was pretty good at, you know, as series went along, making little micro adjustments to to shut down what the other team was doing and things like that, but not necessarily so much on the offensive end. And of course, anyone that comes into Charlotte is is going to have to very quickly form a relationship with the the future, the current all-star, probably future superstar in this league, LaMelo Ball. Uh, what, what can you tell us about his relationship with Paul George, I think, that would sort of illuminate how... Uh, he could work with LaMelo Ball to continue to develop his game. Outside of the Pacers, um, I don't know, incessant is too strong a word, push to make Paul George play the four that he very much did not want to do. Uh, that that was probably the biggest snag or snafu between that regime and PG. Uh, but, the, you know, you don't develop a player the way Paul George was from, you know, a 10th overall pick kind of question mark guy to a superstar with a capital S without at least being somewhat good at forming a relationship with that guy and helping him along. And at the time, at least when Vogel was the coach, building the right team around him and putting pieces around him that makes the team solid. So I don't know. I think they had a good relationship. I wouldn't say it was like amazing or anything, but you know, Vogel was already fired by the time all the PG drama went down and kind of shifted the sands of the Pacers ecosystem. So I do think he was pretty good at forming those relationships, but I don't think it was like perfect by all means, but it's hard to say that he was a factor in PG wanting out or anything. So yeah, I think he did a good job uh, with a lot of those young guys. I already mentioned Lance and, and Hibbert as well. There were other guys they drafted in there. Uh, Miles Plumley, as Hornets fans know about as well, was another one of those guys, although he did not pan out for the Pacers either. So you know, he was pretty good with the young guys uh, and, and at least helping them along as people. And in Paul George's case and in Lance Stevenson's case, helping them along as players. So I think he could do well with LaMelo. That said, all the guys he has done well with that are youngsters in the NBA, at least you know, I don't want to say LaMelo is like a worthless defender, but, you know, are pretty strong defensive players. I wonder, you know, if he's saying, hey, you got to improve on this and you got to do these things on that end of the floor, how that will look, because sometimes young players don't respond to that stuff necessarily well. 
Uh, we're going to talk to uh, one of the members of the Locked On Lakers podcast about his uh, tenure in L.A. Of course, it, it spectacularly and quickly collapsed on Frank Vogel. So my final question to you is, did that did that surprise you that that it ended as poorly as as and dramatically as it did for Vogel in L.A.? You mean? Um, yeah. Yes, it did. And it you know, I think we all know, like it wasn't his fault that it went the way it did. They were so injured. That team was ready for an implosion and they made a bunch of silly moves that didn't make sense given the ethos of their team. And it just, you know, you can only defend and transition so much when you're clanking up a bunch of shots and a high turnover team in general. So, you know, it's hard for him to even instill the things that he thinks are, are so important to winning games like pre Westbrook, they were pretty dang good. And they fought through injuries and still made the postseason the year after the championship. Like I was pretty surprised that, that, you know, I'm not surprised he got fired given how the season went for them, but I don't think it was his fault that the season went that way, if that makes sense. Uh, no, it totally does. Um, Tony, thank you so much for providing uh, our audience with insights. Uh, if you are listening or watching out there and you're a sneak Indiana Pacers fan as well, go check out Locked on Pacers. He, he's also on Locked on NBA a lot, so subscribe to that. Check that out. Uh, Tony, I just want to say that I'm sorry that LaMelo Ball has some weird vendetta against your team and just loves to turn it up to 11 when he, when he plays the pace. I, I apologize to in, you. I think he banks in multiple threes every single time they play the pace. It is the strangest <laughs> phenomenon I've ever seen. It's money is what it is. It's money. All right, your money, Tony. Thanks, buddy. Thank you very much.